This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Now playing on demand is The End of the Tour, which tells the story of the five-day interview between acclaimed writer David Foster Wallace and Rolling Stone reporter David Lipsky. Also playing on demand is Tangerine, a vibrant film about a sex worker who learns her boyfriend cheated on her while she was in jail. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on Cable. The art house is now in your house. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. In this episode, Matt and I debate whether this episode of the podcast should be recorded digitally or on extremely high-quality magnetic tape as we discuss the latest and highly controversial season of Project Greenlight, as well as the movie that was produced on the latest season of Project Greenlight, Jason Mann's The Leisure Class. Leisure? Is it leisure? Not leisure? Leisure. They're, they're both... <laughs> The You're right. The way, he, he, I bet Jason Mann pronounces it the leisure class. <laughs> Later in the show, we'll bring you cue shots where we recommend some titles you can rent or stream at home right now, all featuring a common theme. And since we're discussing Project Greenlight, I thought it'd be really interesting to discuss the movies that have been produced by reality television shows like Project Greenlight and The Chair. Unfortunately, and this is 100% true for a change, when I proposed this idea to Allison, she said, and I quote, I don't know if I can handle two more movies that are anything approximating the quality of the leisure class <laughs> after that. Spoiler alert for Allison's review of the leisure class a little later in the show. So instead, we thought we'd discuss the careers and recommend a few movies by Project Greenlight's executive producers and ostensible stars, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. But first up, it is opening break, the segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable in which we spotlight a few notable films that are new on demand. And Allison, you have our picks this time. What's the first one? Well, first up is a film that 
is it's one of those films that really t- tries to provoke the audience and that is very divisive. It is Entertainment, which is available on demand on November 13th. The latest film from director Rick Alverson, whose previous film, The Comedy, was discussed on Film Spotting SVU episode 20, if wow. you care to look back, back on that. It was it was a while back, early on. Uh, and And this film is about as confrontational with the audience. And this time is actually about a character whose who's kind of act is based on confrontation and anti-comedy. It is uh, starring comedian Greg Turkington, who co-wrote the film, uh, as a character who's like a lot like himself, including the kind of persona he plays in his stand-up act, Neil Hamburger. And if you're not familiar, Neil Hamburger is kind of the embodiment of anti-comedy. He he looks like a lounge act from the 1970s. He's wearing this kind of outdated, ill-fitting suit. He's got a greasy comb over. He always clutches multiple drinks under his arm as if he could only get all of his free drinks at once and he was going to hold on to those with for, for you know dear life. He compulsively and kind of juicily clears his throat into the microphone. All of his jokes are kind of outdated. They're too mean. They're weird barbs at like not terribly current celebrities. And this is an act that, that Turkington has gone on to perform with great success, except in the movie, he do, he's not that successful. He is on a tour in which he plays, he performs as this character to audiences that do not see the humor in it and are sometimes actively aggressive. And a lot of the film is just him on tour, just bombing incredibly. <laughs> and also an in-between living this life of kind of almost purgatorial existence in which he's in, you know, going from kind of, uh, remote Holiday Inn on the road to remote Holiday Inn and having these strange encounters. And there's this definite David Lynch quality to it at times. Why? 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 Good boy, you, do you try your best? Do you do this weird show? But it doesn't matter because you're trying, you're getting yourself out there and you're trying to tell jokes that make people happy. That's just important. So sit there and paste a smile on your face and have some fun. That's what it's all about, folks. Having fun, forgetting your problems, and you people have a lot of problems. Hooting and hollering and laughing and loving life. Bad news. Bad news. It's, I, I think, very much in the vein of the comedy, except a little more surreal, uh, as is, I think, just life on the road. And very much a kind of about Greg Turkington as this idea and this character. And I think that if you are a, a fan of Greg Turkington, you'll certainly want to see this. But I think if you are a fan of films that really try and needle you as the comedy did, <laughs> then, then this is Give it is the hard one, sell here, Well, this Allison. is one for you. I mean, it, I, you know, I think... Know what you're getting into, you're know saying. Know what you're getting into, but I was definitely glad I saw it. I think the comedy, I like the comedy a little more, but I was definitely glad I saw this. And I think filmmaking-wise, this does a lot of interesting things. So that is Entertainment. It is available on demand on November 13th. Now available on demand is a film called Bleeding Heart... I'm going to read you the description from Tribeca, which is where I believe it premiered. Reserved yoga instructor May, played by Jessica Biel, lives a peaceful, clean living life with her boyfriend. 
Her carefully maintained equilibrium is thrown out of balance by the arrival of her long-lost biological sister, Shiva, played by Zosha Mamet from Girls, a street-smart yet naive young woman caught working the streets and trapped in an abusive relationship. May feels compelled to rescue the hapless Shiva, but as she takes steps to pull Shiva back from the edge, she finds herself increasingly drawn out of her sedate world and deeper into Shiva's chaotic one. And it's directed by Diane Bell, who also made a movie called Obsolidia. So that's Bleeding Heart. It's now available. And also now available on demand is a movie I'm very curious about. It's called The Hallow. It is a horror film from Ireland. First film from Corin Hardy, who I believe is now attached to direct that remake of The Crow that has been bouncing around oh, forever. Really? Interesting. Yes. Um, here is the description. Deep within the darkness of secluded forest lands in rural Ireland dwell in dwells an ancient evil feared by the nearby superstitious villagers as cursed creatures who prey upon the lost their secrets have been kept from civilization and remain on their hallowed ground but when a conservationist from london played by joseph mowell uh, moves in with his wife and infant child in order to survey the land for future construction his actions unwillingly disturb the horde of demonic forces alone in the remote wilderness he must now ensure his family's survival from their relentless attacks so your kind of classic creature feature, but in, in, in a kind of intriguing location there. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. The Hallow, now available on demand. I want to be a filmmaker. The single hardest thing is to get people to believe in you. Project Greenlight is doing just that. It's the opportunity of a lifetime. It's not a reality show. We're looking to more deeply understand filmmaking. The person who will direct the movie is Jason Jason. Within 10 seconds of getting the job. I would want to consider maybe another writer. He wanted to fire the writer. Jason has no idea what he's in store for. I haven't quite wrapped my mind around how to make this movie good yet. I don't think he's capable of even compromising. He took on something that was really ambitious. This is the battle. It has to be right. It's the riskiest season we've ever done. I think this movie has a chance to be a little masterpiece. But getting it done is a whole other thing. Are we going to be able to do creatively what he wants? We're back into this corner. I would be in a full-blown panic. Everybody take a deep breath. Now, sometimes our listeners' choice polls are lopsided, and sometimes they're close. Our most recent poll was definitely one of the close ones. It really came down to two choices, either the latest season of the reality TV show Project Greenlight or the Olivia Isaias film Irma Vep. In the end, Project Greenlight prevailed by just a handful of votes. This is the series' fourth season, but it's first after a long hiatus— in it, executive producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and a handful of producers from their company and from HBO choose one filmmaker to direct a $3 million movie. After a nationwide search that involved video submissions, a Facebook vote, and then a final audition that involved about a dozen filmmakers each creating a short from the same script, Damon and Affleck and their team chose Jason Mann, a Columbia University film student with an idiosyncratic sense of humor and a very singular vision for what he wants. Some might say a stubborn vision. This season of Project Greenlight spans eight episodes and follows Jason Mann as he creates his movie, The Leisure or Leisure Class, which is not the movie he was initially hired to direct. Instead, he convinces his collaborators to ditch the pre-chosen script, a raunchy comedy that everyone involved seems to hate, called Not Another Pretty Woman, and instead turn a short he made about a pair of brothers disastrous attempt to con their way into a wealthy Connecticut family into a feature film. Now, a lot of stuff goes on on a film shoot, but the show basically pared the action down to a single conflict between man and his dogged obsessions, mostly visual in nature, 
including his compulsive need to shoot the leisure class on film, and between man's producer, Effie Brown, whose job it is to deliver the movie on time and on budget, and who grows increasingly frustrated with what she sees as man's pig-headedness and his ingratitude over her efforts. Effie was also a part of this season's most controversial moment, which you may have heard about even if you haven't watched the show, when Matt Damon tried to explain to her, a black woman, what diversity is all about. Talk about the born supremacy. Oh, anywho. We're going to talk about the leisure class in a bit, but let's focus on the show first, Allison. I think it's worth discussing whether we think the show accurately depicted the leisure class shoot or whether it artificially pumped up the drama for the sake of good ratings. But for the moment, let's begin with the debate the show wants us to have. Are you team Jason or team Effie? <laughs> well, I will say that I they both have moments in which they're sympathetic and moments in which they are flawed. Mm -hmm. And I think that... They they also are obviously sculpted, which we can get into, by kind of reality television beats so right. that their clash is amped up. Yes. That said, I am Team Effie. Yes. Okay. I think that, I, I mean, they, they are like almost too good a division of like forces being like independent film is about working with the things that you have and creating something good with them versus someone being like film is about pursuing your uncompromising vision and making, you know, and like trying to make everything like meet the things that are in your head and I, I feel like both of those things are true and yet throughout the film my sympathies were mostly with F Effie because I feel like despite some very obvious problems that they had in terms especially in terms of communication this is a three million dollar film it is meant to be about compromise right. it is not someone's like you know perfect like uh immaculate vision like there are there are things from the beginning and I, I think the thing that like like Jason doesn't ever seem to realize is that he gets so many things. He asks for so many things and gets them and never <laughs> seems to understand that he's like gotten these huge things. Like, yeah. you know, he insists on shooting on film and gets it. He asks, basically, that's basically an ask for more money, which he gets. $300,000. He asks that they not follow the planned beats of the show. He will, so that he make his own movie. Yep. And he gets that. Yes. And he never seems to understand that all of these things are kind of like huge, like changes being made to accommodate him. But how about you, Matt? Are you more Team Jason or Team Effie? And I think we're on the same page. I, you know, in the beginning, you sort of want to like Jason, I feel like, because I do think and to a certain extent he was painted a little unfairly. Yes. Because the things he's fighting for are things at least in the beginning and in large part are things directors should be fighting for. They should fight for their vision, right? It's just he I, I feel like, he, as you're saying, you know, like he doesn't seem to ever realize how much he's gotten, how close he's coming to his vision. It would be interesting. And we'll talk about the leisure class in a little bit. But it would be interesting if the movie was amazing, how differently we would view the show. Yes. You know what I mean? Because I, I think we obviously you didn't like it. I didn't like it either. No. Nobody likes this no. movie. It's not very good. It's not. But I'm just thinking, like, what would we do if the movie he produced was a masterpiece? Would it recontextualize the whole show? Because then it would be like, he's fighting for these things, and he's right. That's the thing. It's like, I, I feel like, to a certain extent, he's not as bad as the show made him out to be. Yeah, I would agree. But I think it also, it raises the question of, like, obviously Project Greenlight is this extremely artificial th scenario. But it yes. is also 
no part of this is like about someone making their uncompromised artistic vision. Yes. It is a three million, like they are basically being like, make a $3 million uh, audition movie. An audition movie for more money, right. you know? Like, show people that you're good at, you can do something that's good. I mean, even, like, the very idea that you wouldn't be working off your own script, you know, is all about being, like, how can you compromise? How can you work within the system? Right. It's basically being, like, can you be prove that you should be a Hollywood director? From moment one, he rejected the premise of the show. Yes. And it doesn't even seem like he wanted to be on the show. And I've read one interview with him from the, from the Washington Post where I've he essentially well. said he didn't want to be on the show and he only auditioned in the first place or applied to appease a producer he was working with basically to make nice with them and was kind of shocked when they actually liked him and i guess he like phoned in one of the other things and they were they called him and said hey you better take this seriously because we liked your short a lot and you're one of our top choices and at that point he was sort of stuck and even in the room in that first episode where he has to do his sort of you know he's got to sell them on hiring me he basically doesn't he 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 just Every step of the way, he's daring them to pick him almost. You know, like, I'm going to, I don't want to do your script. I don't like your script. Sure. Well, so here, so my question for you, I guess, would be how much of how far he gets and kind of the way he's chosen and the fact that he, like, gets, he's accommodated so much, how much of that is because he fits the idea of what a director should be? A kind of, he even looks like Wes Anderson with, like, a shaved head. <laughs> he, like, you know? He is. He has a certain Andersonian quality. <laughs> his dress, his attire, his way of, his mannerisms, his speaking. Yes. He's, he's kind of, unbelievably skinny. He looks he like is, he hasn't like eaten in years. Yes. And he, 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 I think, even addresses kind of being like, I don't eat fast food. I he doesn't eat, eat fast yes. food. He doesn't eat candy. Right. Yes. That... I mean, I, I feel they cast like, the type you're saying. Well, not just that, but I feel like there's there are directors we know are great directors who are also kind of famously kind of exacting difficult personalities, right? And think of like David Fincher, for instance, like your classic, like yes, I'm going to do 107 takes, like <laughs> right. never tell you what I'm looking for, like you know, and that's all seen as evidence of someone's vision. Sure. And how much do you think that like that Jason is able to ask for these things and get them? is because he fits the producer's idea, especially, of like what a director with vision looks like and acts like. Right. I've heard people say, well, they only cast him for the drama that it was going to create. And I think that's... I don't think so. I think that's fair to a point. Mm-hmm. I think they picked the person who they felt was the most talented who would also create the most drama. Because I think when you look at the final pool, they had other people that were qualified. But when they showed his short film... Now, they, granted, we didn't watch... I didn't see the whole thing. But just the snippet they showed looked so much better than Agreed. everyone else's short Agreed. film. It looked like a polished... Frankly, it looked better than the than the movie I watched on HBO. Yes. The Leisure Class. So I don't... I don't I sort of reject the idea that he was only cast for drama. Now, that said, I I wouldn't think it's impossible for them to say, here are the three or four people who I think are the most qualified to make our movie. Who is going to, within that group, who's going to be the best subject for television? I think probably Jason was that person because he was so insistent on his vision and – you know, definitely had this attitude about him. That makes great TV. And that's, you know, that the, the show Project Greenlight is not necessarily about making the best movie. It's sort of about making the best show that happens to be about making a movie. And if the movie is good after the fact, well, that's a nice bonus. But especially when they're making a movie that's going to go straight to HBO. Right. I don't think they really care that much about no. about how good the movie no, is. No, and none of the movies have been very good. Right. You know, but the, I, I think... There is something, and and what makes this season so kind of so interesting to talk about is that it does seem like this kind of 
mini this encapsulation of like what we talk about when we talk about diversity on camera and also like meritocracy in mm. Hollywood, right? Because yes. I agree, like his the clip of Jason's movie looked like the best. But also I can't help but feel like when those guys look at him, they're like, we understand you because you speak, you fit our idea of what an artist, right? A sure. director who with a vision is. And that they put up with a lot from him and they are very encouraging of him in a way that I feel like, I, and, and like Effie kind of gets cast as the bad guy to clearly within the context of like how they treat her. Right. But that I feel like I thought a lot when watching this about like, if, if, if Jason hadn't been like a kind of like, I don't know, dyspeptic white guy, like, I don't think that anyone else could have gotten away with that kind of behavior. Interesting. Like, I just, I don't. Yeah, I agree. No, I, I agree. And it, it is, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the one thing that I was also thinking about the relationship between them, between Jason and Effie is I've, I've also seen the series, the chair, which came out recently. I'm not sure if you've caught up with it yet. I have not. So that's the show on stars. It's very similar in concept. The difference being it's two directors basically starting from the same script and making their two films, each making a film. And then it's sort of a competition and like whoever wins, which is based on a weird kind of vague nebulous vote, gets like a cash prize. So like there's almost two prizes. You get to make a movie. And then if your movie wins this contest, you get a prize. I, that I, I really preferred that show in a lot of ways to this season of Project Greenlight, and it's made by one of the guys who used to work on Project Greenlight, Chris Moore, and it's a ten episode series. They're sixty minute episodes instead of thirty, thirty five, forty minute episodes. So it feels like you're getting a lot more of the actual day to day of the making of the movie, whereas Project Greenlight, while very dramatic, felt to me like it was. It, it went like I, I didn't feel like I got a sense of the filmmaking at all. It was I, very quick. Yes, it goes by so quickly, and all you really get like you don't get to know the costume designer or the, you know the lighting expert. All the only person on the crew you meet really is the location person because they have so much trouble. Right. Because Jason has so much trouble making up his mind. Although I've read that some of that was massaged in the editing room as well. Fine. The chair really I've really felt like shows you step by step, and maybe that's not as dramatic. But if you're into movies, it's interesting, right? And there's right. all these individual – they have there's, – there's moments where there's crises and issues. But, like, it just seems like the chair was – felt more authentic and more sort of naturalistic and more documentary-ish and less reality scripted, sort of, like, heavily produced. The other difference, which I think is very interesting, getting back to the Jason and Effie thing, is the directors on the chair got to bring in their producers, yeah. And that's the one thing I would say about Effie is is that she never really feels like she's there to to really facilitate Jason's vision. Sure. She feels like she's there to do the job that she was hired to do, which was get done on time and on budget, right? Sure. I mean, I guess there are some times where it feels like she's fighting for it, but pretty early on, it seems like she's kind of checked out uh, and and she doesn't get along with him, and they just are butting heads well, constantly. they have totally different visions about what a producer should do, right? right. For her, she's like... I want to, you were a first time director and I want to make you, this come in on time. Yeah. And with an under, like under budget. Right. And for him, he's like, you're a producer. You're supposed to make these things I want to have happen, happen. Yes. So he constantly feels like undermined by her because that's his idea of what a producer is. Right. And she constantly feels like he is just doing a runaround on her. Yes. Which he does. He sometimes. does sometimes. Um, because when she doesn't fight for the things that he wants. And I feel like those are like, those are irreconcilable differences, and neither of them is totally right. And clearly, no matter how edited the show was, they there were times where their communication was almost non-existent. Right. And I think that Effie 
clearly also does has a lot of kind of like guarding of territory and i yes. mean the whole scene in which uh peter farrelly quits like that whole phone call is agonizing and you yeah. want to just be like don't pick a fight over this you, right. you know like pick this your battles is the, yeah. and this is not the right one and to that, do and yeah. that happens but i do i do feel like jason very clearly and i and I'm, i was sad that that, ha- that happened because also wanted Peter Farrelly to take Jason on the same trip that Effie had already done and for him to come around and take digital. Because I do feel like Jason, there are many times where Jason clearly listens to guys who say the same thing that she does. Oh, you feel like that would have yes. really, that would have actually made him ironically been, looked even worse. Yes, in a sense. but it just would have been interesting because I, I just feel like exposing sort and of I think the that's part of just like that when you're like, who has authority to you if you're new to this? Yeah. But I think there's a point very clear, like early on where he decides that she doesn't have authority in part because I think she feel he feels like she's not fighting for him. Right. But it, there, there are moments where you're like, you really should have listened to her. Absolutely. But on the flip side, there are also moments where it does seem like they've plopped a student into the middle of a production and that they're almost going kind of around him at times and that he's not part of these conversations. That a yes. director who ostensibly should be the person who's in charge of everything, sure, you know, that they sort of like let him do his little thing. And that there's all this stuff going on in the background, and at least as it's portrayed on the show, yeah. it seems like he's left out of a lot of conversations Absolutely. that a director should be involved in. Absolutely. And that's another thing that sort of, again, that the chair, it, it kind of captured in a nice way, where you did feel like the director was in charge. And I didn't always feel like Jason was the guy in charge. I often felt like he was sort of uh, almost like a figurehead in some sure. ways. I, well, and I think that there are moments in it where you're like, clearly, like, Effie is getting upset about something she clearly didn't communicate to him. Yeah. But then he also does things like email his displeasure to someone he's been like on set with all day rather yes. than tell her in person right. because he's so conflict avoidant. They are like a terrible fit. They're just a terrible they're fit. They're just a terrible fit. They're together. a great fit for reality television. And uh, yeah. Because they, in some ways, they're very similar. Like yes. they're like, they're, they, because they are kind of both very stubborn. So yes. in some ways, they're so alike that it's uh, it's problematic. Well, okay. So what did you think? Is it worth fighting? Was it worth him fighting to get it to shot get on film? film. You know, it's funny because I want to defend a guy who believes in film, you know, like because a lot of the things he's saying about the beauty and importance of film. It smells like love. (laughs) Okay, fine, Jason. But like a lot of the things he's saying, I want to agree with. Like, I believe, you know, like film does have texture film. There is something special about film that, you know, that sometimes a a digital uh, video doesn't capture. That said, first of all. The show, the movie that I watched, didn't even look like it was shot on film. No, it did not. There was nothing that was like, no, no, like you would not be able to notice it from anything I saw. Right. Uh, You know, like if you, if I didn't know anything about where this movie came from, if I'd never heard of Project Greenlight, I'd never watched an episode, you put this in front of me and said, you put a gun to my head and said, which is it, film or digital? I would say digital, and then I would be dead. So... It, you know that that but that's sort of the ends you know that's I'm, that's almost unfair it's like okay maybe he's not that talented i don't know like i i can't say maybe his dp wasn't that good there are there are sort of extenuating circumstances there that i don't even really know because again the show doesn't really like let you understand like the direct like the one day the dp is just there there's no like how does he choose this right, dp right, right. what has this dp ever done what's his background how do they get along why like how is the film shooting process we don't really get any of that i know you don't we don't know how they they kind of crewed up at all you you know we see them cast because yes, the casting is the one because, thing we see yes but we don't see how they crewed up and like i i really wish i had seen that because also you get the sense that effie hired a lot of like at least the kind of assistant directors and all of that and then 
then you kind of wonder how the dynamics are, even though some of them, I think, kind of end up siding with Jason a lot. Like, yeah. You wonder, like, did he just sign off on, like, yes on all of those? Did he bring any of his own people in? Like, yeah, you never we don't get to see, see that. Another, issue, another thing that I thought about only finally after eight episodes when I'm looking at the movie on my TV is that it is a TV movie. This is yeah. a movie for that yes. for 99.9% of people is going to be shown on HBO. And if they're not watching it on their television, they're watching it on their iPad, right? So pick, you know, like, pick your battles. Like, why care so much about a film that's going to be most, it's almost never going to be shown on film. It's only going to be a TV movie. And I'm not saying that dim, like diminutively, like, oh, it's a TV movie. But like, that is the hard fact. It is a TV movie. So fighting for film seems that much more kind of irrelevant. The most absurd thing maybe, which we barely mentioned, and that can maybe segue into the movie, is he throws out the movie that they're going to make. Yes. Which which in fairness to him, no one seems to like that. I don't understand right. why they I even started with a script that well, literally like, everyone seems to hate. I mean, I feel like that speaks to the kind of underlying part of project Greenlight, which is that like everyone expects this movie to be bad. Like they're kind of setting it up to yes. fail. It is not a natural scenario. It's an like, unfair yes. situation for the movie. Yes. But Absolutely. Yeah. And they, they, I mean, I suppose some of the ideas to be like, we're going to have a screenplay that is imperfect so that you can work on it. That's but fair. Then, yeah. Everyone seems to be like, it's not just not good. It's offensive. It's offensive. Yeah, that's the <laughs> word that they keep using. Yeah. So so he gets the script changed, which to me is like a huge ask, but that actually happens. And then the film happens. It's just like he he's being – I don't want to say coddled, but he's being sort of uh, – he's not compromising. They, that's no. a word that they use over and over again. He has to learn how to compromise. But when they're sort of enabling his every decision, why would he compromise? Everything right. he wants, he gets. Well, it's funny. There's they, they, they spend a lot of time on this car crash which is so like relatively minor within the movie, but like it happens and it's all set up where you're like, we get one shot at this one shot. And like immediately after it happens, he's like, can we do it again? Right. And they, ha <laughs> and right before they do it, he's like, so we only get one shot at this. Right. He understands. It's not like he's, <laughs> they've left, they've kept him in out of the loop. Right. He knows he only gets one shot. And in fairness to him, it goes really badly. You know, he was the one who really was pushing for a big car crash. Right. And it looks bad on the show. And then I thought it looked even worse in, in the, movie. the movie. I yeah. thought that was actually maybe one of the very worst moments. It was so incoherent. Yes. Uh, that I had to actually rewind it to watch it back because I was just like, what just happened? This yeah. was the best that they did. So let's get to the movie itself. Yes. Is there anything good you can say about this movie? I, I mean, I, I thought it was very jarring within the movie, but I liked Tom Bell, the mm -hmm. kind of wacky brother. I yeah. mean, I feel like he's funny. He and Ed Wake's have like a dynamic that I, I really enjoyed. And I feel like even it didn't fit tonally within the movie at all. No. Like that character is this giant cartoon, but I could see them being great together in other things. Yeah. You, you can know? see why someone would want to cast those two guys together. Right. They just didn't really work in this film. Yeah. And I thought Ed Weeks actually, who I guess is, you know, a TV star. He's he been is. in stuff. He I thought he was pretty crummy in this, to be honest with you. So flat and one note. And it's funny because the whole show makes it seem like, well, all this technical stuff around them is going to garbage. But at least we've got these hilarious actors who are doing such funny things. And we always see Jason and all the producers laughing hysterically. I mean, their improv is just like bad run-on improv. Is. It's bad improv. I think it's also just that, like, they're in two separate movies, yeah. you know, like Tom Bell is in this like wacky farce and 
Ed Weeks is in like a semi-naturalistic like uh, movie about a con artist, right? And, and the, yeah, yeah, and 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 it, I think that the condensed timeline, which is what the whole they keep, you know, that's like the whole premise. It doesn't work at all for no. this story because we are introduced to the Ed Weeks character sort of already in the midst of all this. Like the most interesting things have already happened off screen, which right. is his sort of like trying to con his way into this family, and then having you know like what? How does he? fall in love or at least try to seduce the daughter like it's just nothing interesting goes on in the movie and jason talks about how well we want to get rid of the three-act structure and we want to do something that breaks all the rules and it's just like i you know hey that can work sometimes it's not always great to follow the rules but in this case there's the the point that is made in the show that there's no story here i felt was very true because nothing happens it's just it's funny like when jason talks about this movie as being like it's somehow it's like daring it kind of like breaks the rules as you said like it's a it's like a very kind of like lousily conventional like indie movie you know yes. it looks like the kind of thing i would have been unhappy to have seen at like tribeca it feels like oh i i, I it feels like something that wouldn't even get to tribeca it yeah. feels like something that you would see at a regional film festival that's been rejected by a lot of right. other film that was festivals made in the area and that like yes. they were like here, here right is this movie exactly yeah. i i mean i think the thing is also i mean it's true like it's funny that he obsesses over how how everything looks when you're like your characters make no sense. Your characters have like no believable internal life. Yeah. Particularly your female lead who's supposed to go through this major change. The thing is also though, like things that work better are things that come from someone who's like, this is what I have and I'm going to adjust to it. Right. You know, someone like Jason is like the, like the opposite of the kind of person who that scenario is suited to. That's a very good point. You know, like there are definitely people who've written scripts to, to budgets, you know, yes. written scripts to the resources you have or adjusted scripts to that. And I think he very much is like, no, I'm upset that this is not matching the movie that is unfolding in my head. That's a very good point that uh, that you're supposed to, you know, turn your weaknesses into strengths. That's what the great filmmakers do is they say, I've only got this much time. I've only got this location. I've only got this much budget. How can I make that part of the movie? Right. That the famous Wells quote about, you know, the enemy of art is the absence of limitations. Well, they kept turning off the limitations for Jason. They kept giving him more money. They kept giving him film. And the result was a, a movie that is it's not also, good. It's weird that there's a long tradition of people who difficult are like directors, difficult yeah. and they're like they're assholes. And then they make something brilliant. Like there was a long, long tradition of that. And honestly, if he had made something good, then it would have been like, well, there you go. Yeah. It was all worthwhile. But yeah. Let me ask you one final question. Okay. Who did you feel out of the whole show back to Project Greenlight? came off the best ben affleck correct that is the correct answer <laughs> ben affleck comes off fantastically yeah in the he show. handles it perfectly he you he i've never liked ben affleck more in anything than i did in this show he should just be like happy-go-lucky uh, like reality tv buddy guy yeah when he rolls onto the set uh when they're shooting the car super crash super encouraging oh yeah he's like willing to give up his money to help this little this young oh, filmmaker yeah. do the movie he wants to make stays out of any discussion of race yes <laughs> he, he he does yeah his hair looks it looks fantastic incredible yes i just like i, I just like Especially when Matt Damon is sitting next to him looking terrible. And then it's really And putting his foot in his mouth over and over over again. Over and over again. And then it's funny when they do that call from China and you're like, you insisted on doing a 5 a.m. call from China. Yeah. In that weird like hair that he's in. He's got the man bun. Yeah. 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 Matt Damon doesn't come off looking well at all. And we haven't talked much about his thing, but. 
feel like that's been kind of talked to death at this point. Yeah, I just, I mean, I just think it fits in with the overall theme, which is just like, there's still this idea about what a director should look like and act like. And it's not conscious. I think it's just an internalized idea. And that people are willing to accommodate that and mm. kind of like, and, and expect people to like, you know, to act like that. And that, uh, and it's unfortunate that like, out of all of the seasons of Project Greenlight, they've never not been had like a white male director. Right. I'd be very curious to see how this all works and how everyone reacts were it to be someone else. Well, I, I mean, this season, from what I understand, was a pretty successful. Obviously, the film wasn't successful, no, but the but it was a, it was much t- discussed. Very discussed. I think the ratings were actually pretty good. So we may get another season, and it, I, I mean, I, I would I be like very surprised if another white guy winds they can't. up right. Like they just can't. So it'll be very interesting to see who they pick and how that person gets along and whether they're, uh, you know, similarly kind of constructed mentally or different. It'd be very interesting. And I, I would be very interested to watch. I have to say, I didn't love the show. And I, I would say to people who it liked it, but felt it was a little superficial or too reality based reality in air quotes, check out the chair. Cause I think that does a better job of really showing you production and the, the nitty gritty. But it's interesting, and uh, I don't. I would never recommend the leisure class to anybody except you know the curious from the show. And even then, I would. If we weren't d- discussing it on, on this, I would have turned it off after twenty minutes. Yeah, at, if it that was, uh, it was a slog. Yeah. Anyway, that is Project Greenlight season four and the leisure class, both available now on HBO Go and HBO Now. I'll fake it through the day with some help from Johnny Walker. And the poison rain down the drain to put bad thoughts in my head. Two tickets torn in half and lie. Nothing to do. Do you miss me? So, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Yes. They are the the producers. They're not the creators, but the producers of Project Greenlight. They they don't appear all that much in the show. No, they Affleck don't. does more than Damon. It almost well, seems Damon's to me- like shooting the movie, his movie in China for yes. like such so much of it. Yeah, but it was awfully convenient. He was because he does have that moment where he sticks his entire foot inside his mouth, <laughs> and then it's almost like he vanishes. Like he almost realizes <laughs> that he like, is. Oh, whoops! What I have I be here? What yeah. have I done? I need to leave, and he kind of vanishes from the movie. And it's Dave, uh, it's Affleck rather, who sticks around and and you know has meetings with Jason and shows up on the set. And seems to be enjoying himself, too. Does not seem like he's being forced to be there. So so good for him. We we, we don't want to go too long because we've already talked a lot about Project Greenlight and about the movie. But let's before we get to our picks, if you had to pick one, Allison, I'm going to put you on the spot. Damon or Affleck? Damon. Yeah. 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 I mean, I if, even if he has managed to, like, put his entire foot in his mouth and <laughs> gum out. Well, that's not what we're judging here. Right. Just, I mean, like, Damon's. A great movie star and a great actor. Yes. And I think Damon's, are, without question, is the better, much better actor. Yes. And the guy who I, I'm always more interested to see. It is hard to, like, for example, like The Martian, which is a movie I enjoyed. I didn't love, but I cannot imagine, just, like, sitting through that movie with Ben Affleck in that role. Not that he couldn't do it, but just, like, 
the charm level and the and the the the, the amount you would want the amount of time you want to spend with Ben Affleck. I don't know if I would. Having said that, on the, on Project Greenlight, he is so charming and wonderful. But that's he as Ben Affleck. Affleck. Yes. I think he's maybe the more he's maybe the better movie star in that sense right. or the persona. And we should point out also the better like, talk show like, guest. I don't know. Like, Affleck has had much more of an interest in filmmaking yes. than Damon has. Damon has and has know. made some good movies as a director. Yes, I like you know like I like his movies yeah. actually. Gone Baby Gone, actually a very, very solid movie. movie, and and Argo, I really liked Argo a lot. I think it's fine, but I liked I, it. I I think he's a talented director. Yes, I think he's actually more talented as a director than an actor. He is going to play a superhero. Wonder how that's going to go. I have a thought about this, but we'll get to it. Do you want to go first? Maybe I sure. should go first. Why don't you? you because know, I have you took the Urtext. Aff- yes, you took I Affleck. took Affleck. Yeah, we thought, well, you'll recommend some Damons. I'll recommend some Afflecks. But I'm really recommending one with both. I felt somebody had to do Goodwill Hunting. Of course. It has to be discussed because that is the the fountain from which they spring, really. <laughs> so that's Goodwill Hunting from 1997, directed by Gus Van Zandt. It is streaming both on Netflix and Amazon Prime right now. And it is the movie that made both of them. They were around in Hollywood. They they were sort of working actors, but that was what made them Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in all quotation marks as movie stars, as writers, and as Oscar winners. All despite the fact that I would say that this movie has one of the worst titles in the history of cinema. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible. Nonetheless, the movie itself is really good with Matt Damon as Will... <laughs> Will Hunting, can't even say it in a straight face. I can't believe the movie was called that. A genius mathematician from South Boston. He works as a janitor at MIT, where his gift is discovered by a professor played by Stellan Skarsgård just after Will gets into a fight with some cops and is sent to jail. So as a condition of his probation, he has to solve math problems with Stellan Skarsgård, and he has to visit a therapist played very, very well by Robin Williams, who helps him sort of address these psychological issues, this trauma from his past that keeps him from embracing his gift uh, and getting a good job and also sort of committing to a relationship uh, with this girl that he's very interested in, who's also fantastic. I did not remember how She's so good. good. She She's is. Such a delight. I was completely smitten with her in this movie. I had completely forgot. Mini Driver, just wonderful in this movie. So, so great. I totally forgot. I haven't seen this movie since and it came also, out. She's also like so not... Like your kind of usual lame love interest. No, in no, any way. Yeah, she's great. She's really great, and uh, she's very good. But it's really a Damon and Robin Williams movie for the most part. And Affleck, since I'm doing the Affleck side of thing, he does have several key scenes. Uh, he plays Will's best friend Chucky. They go up together. They spend their free time together, drinking, driving around, getting in trouble. Affleck though actually has. One of the movie's most famous and most important scenes when he gives this speech scolding Will for refusing basically to embrace his talents as a, as a, a math genius and says, don't do it for yourself. Cause he's like, well, you know, like, Oh, I'll do it for myself. Blah, blah. He says, don't do it for yourself. Do it for me because I would kill to have what you have and you're just wasting it. And if you're still living here in Southie with me in 30 years, I will kill you. And it's actually a great scene and it's a great speech from Ben Affleck. And what I really thought, because like I said, I haven't seen this movie since it came out in 1997, so it's been almost 20 years, which is insane. But it's interesting to look back at those scenes, at their scenes together. I think the movie holds up very nicely. Good movie, good performances, and very good writing from their script. But just the dynamic between them, where they cast Damon as the leading man and Affleck as the sidekick. And how rarely since then, they first of all, they've never really replicated that together in a movie, to my knowledge, right? They've never done another movie like that together. 
that I can With think the two of. of them? Yeah. Not that I can think of. And Affleck never plays the sidekick anymore. I mean, forget about them doing it together. He immediately sort of went to becoming a leading man. And yet he is really good as the sidekick, which is sort of like it's almost like he's missed his calling as an actor. Like here we've already said we like Damon better. Damon is the more interesting actor. He's the better leading man. You know, like I think of Affleck in this, in Dazed and Confused, in a movie that I don't love like Extract, where he's actually really good as the sidekick in that movie. Well, so I, Why I, doesn't he ever play the sidekick? It's funny to me that he was cast as a sidekick in this because I think just like on balance, not discussing their kind of various acting talents like Affleck is a more traditionally handsome he's a good looking guy you know? he has leading man looks I he does. give you that and it's yes. really funny that that in this like he's the one who chose to be the the kind of uh, the, the like you know downscale the like the the, the bro-y friend right yes. the southy friend like he he chooses this role that is like really not glamorous and I feel like part of that like his pursuit of like leading even though he's much less interesting I would agree in leading man roles is that He's like, well, he just looks the part. Look at me. I should be a leading man. Yeah. But the interesting, I mean, he works so perfectly in this role because there are a lot of guys like this. The good looking guy who, you know, did well in high school, but never gets out of his town. Like that's a type. That's a person that exists. And I really feel like Affleck is, is perfect in the part and great in that speech. And I just, that really, that's what this movie rewatching it really made me think was why hasn't, why hasn't he, why, have, why haven't they replicated this dynamic, which worked so well anyway? Let's we, we don't want to go on too long, so let's move on. That's Goodwill Hunting, and I really enjoyed rewatching it. It is a good movie. It is streaming on Netflix and Amazon Prime. All right, for my first pick, I wanted to to go with a movie that I think just exemplifies Matt Damon's uh Damonosity? Kind of, Damonesqueness? Yes. Like his kind of non non traditional movie star qualities. Damonitude. Uh, and that is the adjustment <laughs> the adjustment bureau. Which is available for rent, which is a movie I enjoy a lot. Okay. But it is a movie that is based around, I think, kind of taking these ideas of him as a guy who should be like big and larger than life, and then and then kind of channeling it through all of his like very grounded, like all American kind of uh, charm. You know, one of the the aspects of that makes Damon so interesting on screen is that he is not like he is not like blindingly handsome. He's not even though he can be really charismatic. He is not a guy with like kind of incandescent charm the way someone like George Clooney is. You right. know, he looks like sometimes like a kind of like very refined version of like the the high school football star or like you know he looks he looks like the boy next door, except like grown Absolutely. up and made into an like one of the most famous actors in the world. Yep, and I think that this movie really. Uh, uses that very well uh, in the same way that I think something like The Martian uses that really well, which is that, you know, you have this, this is uh, written and directed by George Nolfi and based on a Philip K. Dick short story. And in it, Damon plays this Brooklyn politician named David Norris, who is uh, just like running for office, you know, very promising young upstart uh, and all of his, all of his, uh, all of his importance comes from his authenticity. He is a guy who hangs out at the bar. He is a guy who has had like some trouble in his life, but is like so gifted. Um, but he's down to earth. He is a guy you can have a beer with. And the whole movie is based on the idea that literally the universe does not want him to get together <laughs> with a, a ballet dancer played by Emily Blunt. Uh, and they have a meet cute and they have electric chemistry. But it turns out there are these kind of 
these men who may or may not be angels and who are working for something that may or may not be God, but all in this very, you think very endearingly bureaucratic envisioning of, uh, of the forces greater than us. And uh, according to the plan that they enforce, these two people are not supposed to be together. And I think there is something kind of inherently ridiculous about the idea that this is someone who is so important that the universe is like, the universe is like, you don't have time for a relationship, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> no commitment for you. you. You're on to greater things. But Put that I, fedora down, Matt Damon. Exactly. But I think that the movie also kind of leans into that a bit. Uh, and also, I think... It ends up working as a kind of slightly sci-fi tweak on or kind of like almost like making fun of your typical romantic comedy conventions mm. of like all of the things, these artificial things that have to get in the way of a couple being together. That's interesting. You know, mm -hmm. like, oh, someone it's because of this bet that's going to keep them you know, apart or, oh, because of like, someone secretly writing a magazine article or this great misunderstanding. All of these kind of screenwriterly things that have to get thrown in the path of two people who in any kind of like, you know, sane universe would be like, we like each other. <laughs> like, let's go on some dates. Right. You know, and I think that this movie works as like a kind of funny critique of that in some ways, because it's like there, there's a whole kind of, um, you know, level of other people beyond who are interfering and putting up obstacles. You've, you've just made this movie much more interesting than I thought it was, but keep going. <laughs> You're doing an excellent job. Oh, thank you. Uh, I, but I think that, you know, it works in large part because of Damon's groundedness. You believe him as a guy who would be the politician, the young upstart politician that everyone is in love with, but also as a guy who can genuinely like flirt with and pick up a girl in a slightly charming and awkward way. I, you know, I, I think that this is a, this is a giant sci-fi movie, but it's really like a little romance and, uh, it, something that's really like lovable about it is that Emily Blunt and Matt Damon have like, they just like each other. The characters just really like each other and that there's no kind of like fooling around with that, you know, that they their, their scenes together are very kind of alive and vital because of that. And that you never have any doubt that, uh, that, that, and their flirting is like, even though she's a little manic pixie dream girl, their flirting is like very believable. And I think a lot of that comes from like, Damon's ability to look like a guy who's really kind of polaxed, uh, you know, by this girl who's come into his life, uh, you know, and that solidity, I think, kind of brings this high concept, slightly silly idea to the ground and, and makes the balance really work for me. Um, so I, I it's, it's a movie that, like, I never expected to like as much as I did, but I really did. The Adjustment Bureau now available for rent. Yeah, you've uh, you uh, you made me want to see that movie again, which uh, is high praise because I did not really particularly like it all that. Might be fine, but uh, yeah, that's very interesting. Your your I liked your your take on it as the you know the sort of artificiality of the romantic comedy universe kind of uh, being tweaked in that film. That's really really interesting. Ironically, we did not plan this, but my next pick is also a Philip K. Dick adaptation. Mm. This one starring Ben Affleck, and it is called Paycheck. And it's from 2003. It's directed by John Woo. And this film is streaming right now on Netflix. 
And this was John Woo's last Hollywood movie before he went back to Asia, basically. <laughs> and like, screw this. <laughs> yeah. And that probably tells you something about it. It was not well received. It was not a hit. Ben Affleck, I think, has publicly made jokes about how terrible it is. I don't think it's that bad. And I think it's a really good movie for this discussion and this what we're doing, which is this consideration of these people as sort of actors and movie stars and screen presences, is that while it's not a fabulous movie, it's not a great entertainment, it's not a very good sci-fi movie at all. Those are not its strengths, even though it's based on a Philip K. Dick story. I think as a consideration of Affleck and as like sort of like seeing him in all of his strengths and all of his weaknesses, I think it's about as good as you're going to find, at least on streaming right now. And we've talked about, you know, the Damon, you know, the Damon characters, the Affleck characters here. I feel like Ben Affleck is kind of playing like Will Hunting grown up a little bit. He is this genius math savant who now works as a tech mercenary. He's been hired to he like reverse engineers technology and then to preserve the secrets that he uncovers. He then erases his memory so he can't remember how he did it. And normally he does this for like two weeks at a time or two months at a time. Uh, but in this case, in the, the main plot of the movie, Aaron Eckhart hires him to do like a three-year gig in exchange for a huge paycheck, eight-figure paycheck. And then the movie, once he says he'll do it, the movie basically jumps forward three years to the end of the job. We don't know what's happened, and suddenly Affleck discovers that right before his memory was erased, he exchanged the $90 million for a plain manila envelope full of ordinary items like hairspray and a paper clip and a silver dollar and he's wanted by the police and men are trying to kill him and he doesn't know why so even though it's based on a philip k dick short story it's very much like a hitchcock sci-fi movie you know it's a kind of an innocent man wrong man thing where he doesn't understand what's going on he's pursued by all these forces he's running around he's got this envelope he's trying to figure out what to do with it why he has these items and that's kind of the fun part is is the puzzle aspect and also the Hitchcocky, almost a Palma-esque territory they get into. There's a The best scene in the movie is this one where Uma Thurman plays the love interest. And frankly, it's not a good Uma Thurman performance. But there's a scene where the bad guys have tr- dressed someone up to look like Uma Thurman. And because his memory's been erased, he vaguely remembers her so he, they can kind of get away with the deception. And you're wondering if he's going to remember, if they're going to trick him. And all the sort of like duplicitous blonde mistaken identity all the stuff that's going on in a hitchcock movie is kind of distilled into this one scene that works really well uh, ben affleck as a math genius I, that's a that's kind of that's 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 tougher to buy the scenes where he fights people with a bow staff like he's donatello the ninja turtle which ha- happens more than once is not great either but okay fine so i don't think it's a great ben affleck performance and like I said, it's kind of interesting that it seems like more of a – I would say it's more of a Matt Damon role almost than a Ben Affleck role because I, I like I, I like Affleck as kind of the more ordinary guy. I don't like him as the the brainiac. For some reason, I, I don't mean to insult Ben Affleck, but I just I have a trouble – I have a little more trouble buying him as a brainiac. I'm sorry, Ben Affleck. I think you're wonderful. Your hair is magnificent. <laughs> And I, you seem very smart, but just the math genius, I, I don't know. For some reason, I have trouble with it. But what, what, I, what, I, what I think is interesting is that the movie is almost considering Affleck as a, as a movie star at times. Uh, this movie was made right around the time he had that high-profile relationship with Jennifer Lopez. And I don't know if you remember this, but he – at the time, you remember he was like even dressing differently? I don't know if it was her or her team or his team or whatever, but all of a sudden he went from kind of like – scruffy, lovable Ben Affleck with tousled hair to, like, 
glamorous movie star. Like he had slicked back hair and he was wearing very expensive clothes and it was almost like that he had had like a makeover essentially. And as the movie begins, he looks like that made over Ben Affleck. He's in very expensive suits, the slicked hair. And as the movie goes on, he kind of transitions back into the other kind of scruffy Ben. And it's almost like him acknowledging that he had like lost sight of himself or gotten away from the path he should be on. There's all this stuff in the movie about fate and destiny. And you, what are you doing with your life? Are you doing the right thing with your life? Which is another connection back to Goodwill Hunting. Maybe that was what he found in this movie that he liked because I doubt it was the bow staff fighting. You know what I mean? But there's something in that about ambition and goals and like course correcting your life that I feel like in some ways – is like intrinsic to the Ben Affleck persona that I want to look and see some of his other movies and see if that's in there. Cause it really feels like that's what he really connects with here and connects back to Goodwill hunting and a few other movies that I was thinking of along the way that I would need to rewatch, but it seemed like there was something there perhaps that he really resonates with. So not a great movie. Uh, it's a lesser Philip K. Dick adaptation. It's a lesser John Woo movie, but it has its moments. There's some there's some good action. There's some fun stuff with that envelope and all the things he's got to do to survive. Uh, so that's Paycheck, and that is streaming now on Netflix. So I, I think we're kind of following along these lines of this idea that Ben Affleck is the guy who is often like more interesting in these side in these character roles, yeah. but is the one who is like very actively pursued the like the high profile relationship. Now he's having the high profile divorce. Yes, that he has kind of like lived a more traditional like. Yeah, a, you know, A-list Hollywood life. A tabloid life. Right. Whereas Matt Damon has kind of very, you know, deliberately, like he's married and lives this like very deliberately like not paparazzi friendly life where yeah. he's like a normal dad. And uh, he, his wife's not in the his industry. His wife's not in the industry at all. He's, uh, and, and I think as much as he is like as, as big a star, really, he's like one of the biggest stars out there right now. And like almost always like keeps getting cast as like, a major leading man for my next pick. I wanted to pick a movie. He is in for about a minute. It is a great movie, but it is not a great movie because of Matt Damon. It is Che Steven Soderbergh's <laughs> 2008 film. Okay. About Che Guevara, uh, currently streaming on Hulu. And I wanted to bring it up because of something that I find very interesting that Matt Damon does, which is he has this weird willingness to show up in little roles, cameos sometimes, but sometimes like a bit more than that, but roles that are so not the marquee role. Like, he has, like, this weird, like, I think kind of, like, indie film-ish, like, you know, I'll show up, like, I'll do this. And in Che, he literally piggybacked, because, like, the budget for Che was so low, he literally piggybacked off of, like, uh, like Born Ultimatum press trip and was, like, he needed to go to Spain for that. And Steven Soderbergh had been, like, can you come? So he's, like, well, yeah, I'm going to have to go to Spain anyway and showed up for the day to shoot this role in which he appears as a German priest who uh, Che and his forces encounter when they're in Bolivia. And uh, it's a, he speaks Spanish the whole time. He shows up in this crisp white shirt, uh, in the, you know, and with, whereas Che and his forces are all kind of bedraggled and uh, basically tells them that, like, negotiates on behalf of these locals who don't want to get involved in their fight. And it is a role that you would not notice at all, except that, in the middle of this movie about, you know, the long, slow decline, the second part of, of Che, which is all about Che Guevara's uh, played by Benicio del Toro. It's all about his kind of attempts to to replicate his revolution in in Bolivia and like just how it kind of falls apart uh, that you have Matt Damon just show up randomly in the middle of this movie. <laughs> 
speak Spanish for the scene and then leave. And I, I think that I, I kind of love the, the, this like fondness for cameos that he, he, he does. Like he turns up, I don't know if you remember this alongside Brad Pitt as two of the bachelors in a version of the dating right, game. Right, right. In Confessions, Confessions of, of a, a Dangerous, dangerous Mind. Mind. That's a great yes. scene. Um, in the, the kind of like ridiculous, like dumb comedy Euro trip. In the beginning All of this right. movie, he t- turns up as a guy the main character's girlfriend has been having an affair with and sings a song about the affair that they have been having called Scotty Doesn't Know. In Finding Forrester, he turns up as the executor of Forrester's will at uh, the end. I've never ends. seen that one. Oh, he's there at the end. The very end has this like one emotional scene. I mean, he's had a cameo alongside Ben Affleck as Will Hunting in Jane's Silent Jane's Boss, I was waiting. Back. Yep. I knew that was going to come. Um, in Youth Without Youth, the Coppola film. He turns up as a Life magazine reporter in one scene. Wow, I don't even who remember like, that uh, one, and I did see who that Who actually movie. turns out to be the uh, representative of the American government trying to recruit Tim Roth's character. Wow. In The Zero Theorem, the yep. recent Terry Gilliam yep. film, he turns up as management, as a kind of shadowy figure in charge at the end. I mean, even his role in Interstellar, which was kind of kept as a surprise. Yeah, like, spoiler he turns alert. Up, like, as, it's not a small role, but like this whole time you it's know, like a glorified cameo it is like he but like you know they've been going to reach this guy on this planet and they open it up and it's matt damon hey! and i feel like matt damon has created this weird president in his life where he could turn he up, could show up anywhere movie. and it's not surprising he could turn up in any movie in the middle of like you know the jungle he, in che he turns up it's true and i think there is something very even if it's kind of a performance of egolessness, you know, <laughs> it's a good is. one. It is a good one. And yeah. I think it shows this, this, like this lack of kind of like a need to always be the, the main movie star that I find very endearing. Yeah. It's something as we've been talking about, it'd be nice if Ben Affleck had a little, like you don't expect <laughs> to see Ben Affleck do it, but he might be, he would be good in that kind of thing. Yeah. Unless, unless I'm wrong. And, 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 uh, Batman is kind of the sidekick in Batman versus Superman. That would, be, that would be interesting. He would be, I mean, like I said, I like him in the sidekick role. Something tells me he won't be, but it'd be pretty, no. it'd be nice if he was. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, Che now streaming on Hulu. Great movie. Not because of its Matt Damon performance, but it does. It is good evidence of how kind of game Matt Damon seems to be for things like that. All right. It's time for Singer and Wilmore's completely concise and totally succinct new release roundup. The segment Allison doesn't know the name of and I can't pronounce because this is the fifth take it took to finally get it right. And I had to write it down so I didn't screw it up anymore. <laughs> A little peek behind the curtain. Allison, uh, we're recording this. Uh, after there were two big movies uh, this weekend as we were recording this, and there's not much coming out next weekend, so we're going to talk very briefly about those. Why don't you first start with the movie you've seen that I haven't seen, which is the Peanuts movie, very briefly. Um, Made yeah, a lot of money, actually. It did make very a lot successful. Of money. People love the Peanuts gang still. Did you enjoy it? No, I'm a monster. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I didn't hate it. Wah, but wah, I just, wah, wah. That's what it I'm going to hear this like, whole time. It just felt like, uh, I don't know, as I, I think I said to someone on Twitter, it felt like a kind of overproduced cover version of a classic song. Okay. And I think, you know, it'll be a totally fine introduction for most kids to right. Peanuts, as I'm sure it'll be their first. But I think it, 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 doesn't get some of the categorizations that well it ends on a happy note which seems like a fundamental betrayal of peanuts <laughs> unlike a kind of affirmation of charlie brown as a person okay um which and i don't know i mean it's cute but i just i i was like kind of i was i was i was antsy throughout it did not charm me. Didn't charm you. All right. Well, did what about Spectre? Did Spectre charm you? I think if we have a feeling we're on this in the same place on this, but okay. no. I thought it had one great opening scene. Yeah. And then it just kind of collapsed 
for a long time because it's a two and a half hour movie. It's there was a, a very lot long of there's like two hours of collapse. The and building that Dame, James Bond is standing on collapses in the opening scene, and then the movie around him slowly collapses as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what went wrong with this. I loved Skyfall. I do too. I thought it was fantastic. I liked it even more. I rewatched. I did a whole piece ranking all the Bond movies. I rewatched. I'd seen all of them before, and I rewatched almost every single one for the piece. And I rewatched Skyfall, and I loved it even more than I did the first time. I think Skyfall is amazing. I do too. And I, I this one somehow like runs through some of some similar beats, but in a way yeah. that's so much worse. It has Christoph Waltz says, "If you don't know what villain he plays, I won't spoil it, but." It's a meaningless reveal. Yep. Like, and it, all it does is kind of attach a terrible backstory to this character. Terrible. Stupid. I would also accept stupid backstory. A stupid backstory. And I just, it ends on this very anticlimactic action sequence. and Very underwhelming. Yeah. I, I was just, it was disappointing all around. And I really like, I have been very fond of Daniel Craig's Bond. Absolutely. But he also looks towards the end like he's, he's so pretty done. checked out. Yeah. yeah. He's... Yeah, he is so placid in a lot of this movie, and some of it to good effect. Like he is so like m- like beautiful. Like he's like looks like he's in a Tom Ford catalog come to life at times. Oh, yeah, his outfit when he goes up into the snowy like when they're up in the mountains, oh, immaculate. Or there's that shot where they're wait they get off the train and it's just the two of them, him and oh, Leia yeah. Seydoux, like, whose character is so gear. terrible. Her character is awful. But they're just sort of like posed so artfully. It's beautiful stunning i mean it's still like a lot of the settings are very beautiful and striking yeah there's a there's a totally improbable old-fashioned train ride very glamorous and chic and that that scene's kind of fun yeah but i just there's no there's so little connective tissue between the scenes yeah uh the 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 kind of main romance is so flat yes underwhelming and they're trying to sell it as more than your typical bond and a sidekick bond girl romance and it's not convincing in the slightest no. at all and also i i was kind of offended by the change that it asked that it tried to sell us in in terms of bond yeah it's it's it, i think fundamentally just you know we don't want to go on too long yeah. here but i think this is the core of the issue is that like you said it's like skyfall in the fact that it continues to try to like make the argument that james bond is relevant and it's like there's all this stuff about not specific like not explicitly snowden but NSA style kind of spying and technology like that. And it's sort of like a, yet another referendum on why do we need Bond in a world of computers and technology? There's, there's a scene where I think someone calls him a dinosaur and it's literally something that like, it felt like a, a just like a lift on something that happened in a Pierce Brosnan movie. Yeah, that, that almost explicitly happens in Goldeneye, yes. the first Bond, uh, Brosnan Bond, which is from 1995. So 20 years ago, we've, we've been having this conversation off and on and it was explicitly had in Skyfall and Skyfall was a great movie audiences loved it it made a billion dollars clearly everyone except the people who run this franchise believe that james bond has a place in this world and they don't really care whether you know like (laughs) it's like franchise inadequacy right right so while and, and the other issue is that while while they're doing this while they're saying we're relevant we're current we're hip we're now they decided to put Bond into this incredibly old-fashioned style Bond movie where he's following these breadcrumbs that barely connect or make any sense, and you don't understand why he's going from place to place. Right. And and then they add in Spectre. The title of the movie is Spectre, this bringing you back to this organization from the 1960s, this, you know, like huge, nebulous terrorist organization that's just super evil and has no sort of relevance in a modern world. The two things just don't connect. It's like either make a modern, modern Bond movie 
or make an old-fashioned Bond movie. Right, know what you're making. Well, yeah, don't I, try to do both. And we didn't. I mean, we didn't mention it. But then also, it all ties. It tries to tie this back to his childhood in a way that, like, is is ridiculous. Well, I think, and I think that all of the mythology stuff and trying to connect Spectre back to all the other Daniel Craig Bonds is is you know Bond is very reactive. He always is. And now this is them trying to make. Marvel Bond, right? Right. Where all the movies now connect and make sense together and making dense continuity. They don't make any sense. Yeah, it's it all feels like a desperate retcon. It doesn't add anything to the older movies. It doesn't add anything to this movie. So I was disappointed, too. I really enjoyed the opening. It's The opening's fantastic. Fantastic. And I actually was really into it for, like, the first 45 minutes. In t- and, and right up I- until they introduced Christoph Waltz. I thought yeah. that scene was great. Like, this mysterious Spectre organization. It's another beautiful scene. It looks incredible. And literally the moment Christoph Waltz, like, he, not to spoil it, but he, like, turns to James Bond and says something really freaking goofy to him. Uh-huh. I was like, from that moment, it was like the reverie was over. The, I snapped out of it. And, and that was to me where every scene from there on, I just got less and less interested. Till by the end, I was just like, this is horrible. And I was really disappointed. And I love James Bond. I do too. I will say I was happy that we got to see his home and his, like— That's a great scene, too. Is, it's a great Early scene. in the movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so a disappointment there because we are both Skyfall fans. Oh, well. Maybe the next Bond will be better. It'll be Bond 25. It'll be a huge anniversary Bond. So they'll have to yet again consider whether he has belongs in this. We don't even, like, like Daniel Craig's still on for another, he's contracted for one more, but he's also said he'd rather slit his wrists than come back. I'm it's sure gonna be, he's, it's sure. going to be fun. It's going to be, yeah. A grand old time. Yeah. All right, let's get to Behind the Eight Ball where we wrap things up with some new releases, three of them to be exact. We give you two listener recommendations sent in by you guys, and we also give you one film chosen blindly by number from our My Lists. Allison, you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. All right, let's start with three new releases. Okay, first up is Amorpha, which is new to Netflix. Uh, this is directed by Jessica Hausner and is a film based on uh, Heinrich von Kleist, who is a real German and like very like respected German author and poet who in the 1800s uh, committed... I went committed suicide in the suicide pact with his lover who was terminally ill named Henriette Uh, sounds all very dark and romantic, but in this movie, it becomes like maybe the driest of dry comedies. It's all done from Henriette's perspective and it's uh, in which she gets approached by this, you know, poet who is all he wants is someone to die with him. And it looks like this, it suddenly becomes this act of terrible vanity uh, I love this movie. I think it is it is really slyly funny and really just dismantles this kind of period romanticism so well. Um, that is Amorpha. It is streaming on Netflix. Streaming on Fandor now is Happy Valley. This is written and directed by Amir Barlev, who did uh, My Kid Could Paint That, among others. It's a documentary about the whole kind of Penn State, uh, Jerry Sandusky, you know, child sex abuse scandal, and about the cover-up, and about the football team. And it becomes this very incisive movie about community, and also about... uh, how we tend to cover things up to protect larger institutions. And I, you know, there are lots of ways in which it reminds me of Spotlight, mm. uh, the movie that's out right now about, yeah. you know, the Boston uh, priests and sex abuse scandal with the Catholic church. Uh, very similar. And I think, you know, also like shows ways in which self-regulation is a problem. So that is streaming on Fandor and streaming on Netflix now is Doomsdays. This is written and directed by Eddie Mullins, and it is a um, self-described pre-apocalyptic comedy 
about two guys played by Justin Rice and Leo Fitzpatrick, Justin Rice of Mutual Appreciation, Leo Fitzpatrick of Kids, um, who are these, uh, who, who, like live by breaking into off-season vacation homes in the Catskills as if it were the apocalypse and they needed to fend for themselves, you know, by scour like breaking into houses to get things, except that these are people's houses and the apocalypse has not happened. It's definitely quirky and occasionally strenuously so, but it's extremely charming. And the whole basic setup about how these two guys live is I, I think like such a pleasure to watch. So that is Doomsdays, and it is streaming on Netflix. Okay, how about two listener recommendations? Okay, first up we have one from Jedediah, who writes, Hey Matt and Allison, I dig crime flicks, so thanks for the Rex last week of Viva, La- Viva Riva and Hard to Get. They were bumped up in my list. For fans of Fargo, the TV series, I'd like to recommend a Frozen Heartland crime movie currently streaming on Netflix. A Simple Plan, Sam Raimi's adaptation of Scott Smith's novel, got me very excited about his future as a filmmaker before his career got sideswept by Spider-Man and 80s horror retreads. Um, Jedediah also recommends The Ice Harvest, which is one we're big fans of, but um, I'll, I'll stick with that one for now. Thank you, Jedediah. That's A Simple Plan on Netflix. And Bibsy in Manchester, UK, soon to be San Francisco, he writes, congratulations, Bibsy, on the move. It's been a while since my last recommendation, but I do feel I have to big up something that is going under the wire. Kingdom is a show I stumbled upon due to gay press about Nick Jonas. Hey, I thought, I'll take a look, and by golly, I'm glad I did. It's very similar to the behemoth that is Empire and Storyline, but this is more gritty and without all the twatty singing. (laughs) Its setting is the sport of MMA fighting and focuses on a particular gym in Venice Beach, full of great characters, some great drama, and occasional brutal fight. It's soapy without being too melodramatic. Nick Jonas is far from the hottest of the cast, and it's already had some great strong female leads, but season two has introduced a female MMA fighter. Yay, Bechtel Test. It's a fun and gripping show that deserves a bit more hype. My fiancé, Jose, just got it finally on Amazon Prime, so I know it's a recommendation I can pass on to fellow streamers. Uh, And I think that in the U.S., you can also... Uh, watch that on DirecTV if you have that. I believe that is a DirecTV original. Okay, how about one from your my list? You gave me number three, which is a documentary called I Touched All Your Stuff. It is about a man named Christopher Kirk, who is uh, an American who moves to Colombia because he saw some documentary about Pablo Escobar's hippos. And once there, falls in love with this mysterious woman, When the filmmakers find him, he is in a Brazilian prison for drug smuggling. Uh, And the reason I put this on here, beyond the fact that it's all kind of based around this crazy story, is that I've read that multiple people was like, it becomes clear halfway through that he is like either a sociopath and or a compulsive liar. And that you don't know which which parts of his story are true or not, which is always a dilemma I find very interesting in filmmaking. So I was intrigued by that. It is I Touched All Your Stuff, and that is on Netflix. That does sound pretty interesting. Right? Yeah, I just uh, added it to my uh, my list ooh, right now. All right, Matt, are you ready? Yeah. Okay, three new releases. All right, first up, for those out there who were looking forward to Spectre until we shot it down, sorry about that. Uh, there are a whole bunch of James Bond movies that have just been added to Hulu. They include the best Bond, Goldfinger, along with the best Roger Moore Bonds, The Spy Who Loved Me and The Man with the Golden Gun, and the most underrated Bond, in my opinion, which is The Living Daylights with Timothy Dalton. There's also On Her Majesty's Secret Service with one-time Bond George Lazenby, which is also an underrated film. So there's 
several more than that. So there's a ton to watch. If you are in a Bond mood, go to Hulu and check out the James Bond collection over there. Next up, also on Hulu, is The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, the 80s cult classic about the world's greatest rock star scientist, superhero, doctor, race car driver, who must thwart an alien invasion. And in an age of homogenized comic book movies, here is something that is very loosely inspired by comics and pulp heroes, but it's very much its own thing. It's weird and funny and entertaining. The movie was ahead of its time, and it's still ahead of its time, and it will continue to be ahead of its time for the next thousand <laughs> years. It is awesome and weird and great. That's a, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. And finally, if you want to turn Goodwill Hunting into a Robin Williams playing a Dr. Double feature... I recommend Awakenings, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime. In this film, which is directed by Penny Marshall, he plays a doctor who discovers a drug that will treat catatonic patients and restore them to health. And uh, I've only seen this movie once, and it probably sounds pretty schmaltzy. If you haven't seen it, it is, to a certain extent, pretty schmaltzy. But it's also like a very moving, powerful film. And I did not realize this, Allison, but I saw this on Wikipedia, so it must be true that apparently Vin Diesel has a small, uncredited what? role as a psych ward orderly. What? That is according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong. So I now propose to you, Allison, that this film is in the Fast and Furious universe. As are all Vin Diesel films. Yes. That, that's how I... Especially the ones in the future or where he plays a witch hunter. Correct. I mean, I just always assume he's playing the same character anyway. Well, you know, at least Witch, Witch Hunter explains his immortality, which we've all known has been true. It's been for around a for time. a while. Yeah. Okay. So that's Awakenings. It is available now on Amazon Prime. All right. Two listener recommendations. Our first comes from David in Reading, Connecticut. He writes, Allison and Matt, I was so glad to hear your positive comments on Bridge of Spies, which is thus far my favorite film of 2015. I would like to recommend a different movie, which is a favorite of mine from 2006, The Lives of Others. Or as it may have appeared in some theaters, Das Leben der Anderen. Oh, I definitely didn't pronounce that right. When it won a 2007 Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film. I hope you have both seen it and agree. That's from Dave in Reading, Connecticut. And The Lives of Others, another very good movie. Highly recommended to, uh, to the folks out there. Our next recommendation comes from Ben in Houston, Texas. And Ben writes, I wanted to recommend a show that I mistakenly never gave a chance until just recently when it appeared on Netflix. It's the first season of the TV show I, Zombie. When the show premiered, I was so sick of the zombie craze that another quirky take on the genre was the last thing I wanted to watch. However, when the show appeared on Netflix, I decided to give it a chance since I'm a big fan of its creator, Rob Thomas, who created the great Veronica Mars and one of my all-time favorite shows, Party Down, which I know Allison is a big fan of as I well. Am a big fan of that. Thankfully, what I got from this show was much less warm bodies and much more Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The show follows a woman, Liv, who unwittingly becomes a zombie and who has to eat brains to maintain sanity or else degrade into the classic Walking Dead. However, the side effects of eating these brains is that Liv takes on the personality of the, each brain's former owner and has flashes of their memories. As such, the main character starts to work in a morgue where she can get all the brains she wants and also help solve the crimes of the victims by reliving their last moments. The film is half procedural and half overarching story that follows Liv's family dealing with her new life and the rise of the zombies, led by a brain-dealing crime boss zombie. And if you are looking for a show with a unique premise, good dialogue, likable actors, and a breezy pace, but with a dark edge then this show should get on your my list as soon as possible, especially since season two is currently airing on TV. 
That is iZombie on Netflix, and that's a recommendation from Ben in Houston, Texas. And it's based on a comic book, I believe, a, a yeah. comic from DC. And I'd read a little of the comic when it was restarted recently. I didn't really love it, but the premise of the show sounds really interesting to me, actually. I really enjoy this show. Oh, yeah? It is a very, it's a great time. Yes. All right, I'm adding this one to my my list right now as well. Okay, well, why don't you give me one from your my list while you, you're at it? Okay, you gave, I'm going to multitask here. You gave me number two. And number two right now is a documentary called Twinsters. I'll read you the plot description. This documentary chronicles the true story of a French fashion student who discovered via the internet an identical twin she never knew existed. And this film played at South by this year. And I thought the premise sounded fascinating. I didn't get a chance to see it there. But when I saw just recently in the last week or two, it popped up on Netflix. I immediately added it to my list. So that's why it's on there. Have you seen it? I have. I was actually on the jury for the documentaries at South by that year. And that was one of them. And it's, it's I think it's it's a fascinating premise. Okay. And it's like a well-directed movie. I okay. think it's a, like a little lacking in conflict, if that sounds, okay. you know, but it's still, I think, very worth much watching. Worth, absolutely. Okay, good. So it's going to stay right where it is on the, on that, my list. That is Twinsters. Allison, you have uh, two out of the three options for our listeners choice voting for next time. I think we've got an interesting batch here as usual. It's usually pretty interesting, but I'm, I'm very curious to see what's going to win this time. You have the first one. What is it? All right. It is a movie that I've heard a lot of good things about, but has kind of passed me by. And I don't think you've seen it either. It is Danny Collins. No, haven't seen it. Which is now streaming on Amazon Prime, uh, written and directed by Dan Fogelman in his his, uh, feature debut. And in it, Al Pacino plays an aging rocker who has been hard partying until... His manager, played by Christopher Plummer, uncovers this 40-year-old undelivered letter to him from John Lennon. And after reading the letter, he changes his ways, tries to kind of reconnect with his son, and tries to kind of like get his life in order. And it is apparently based on the true story of a a folk singer. Uh, Got a nice cast, including Josh Peck and uh, Annette Bening. And it's just one of those movies that uh, I think was actually pretty well received, but it kind of slipped in and out of theaters before I had a chance to see it. Yep. And, you know, I, I always want to see a good Al Pacino, recent Al Pacino performance. And this sounds like one that, that actually is fun. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I would like to catch up on this one. And this would be a great opportunity. That is Danny Collins on Amazon Prime. Option number two. It's a new Netflix series entitled Master of None, and it stars Aziz Ansari in the lead role of Dev, a 30-year-old actor who attempts to make his way through life in New York City. This is really the Aziz Ansari show. It's, 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 it's his thing. It's his baby. The show also stars Noel Wells and Eric Wareheim, who also directed a few episodes, along with James Ponsolt, who's a fine indie director, yeah. did The Spectacular Now and The End of the Tour. Yes. It's his most recent film. And Lynn Shelton of Hump Day. So fabulous indie directors working on this show. It's gotten great reviews. It's like universally acclaimed. Every, I mean, the show just premiered over the weekend, but it seems like everyone is just binging it like crazy I and loving people it. people writing about re-watching episodes already. Yeah, and, and how Aziz's dad, I guess, is in it. Maybe his parents. Both of his, his parents. parents, yeah. Well, the da- the dad is the guy who's getting all the tweets. Yeah. His dad is apparently amazing, going to win an Emmy, blah blah blah. So we- you have you have caught our attention, Twitter, and your incessant tweeting about Master of None. We are officially interested. We're we want to check this one out. So that's option two, Master of None, which is now streaming on Netflix. And option three is a movie that I have mentioned earlier in this podcast. It is also streaming on Netflix. It is Amorphous, and I am sorry if that is an incorrect vowel pronunciation. Uh, foo. 
Foo-fa. Anyway, so uh, just uh, just think, if this wins, you could hear us do this over and over again throughout a whole podcast. The Austrian film, directed by Jessica Hausner, about uh, the German writer who is with his suicide pact. And uh, I think that this would be a great opportunity, beyond the fact that I really like this movie, and I don't think that many people have talked about it. It, uh, it was another kind of small release. I think that... I don't know. It might be funny to talk about kind of like unconventional depictions of the past mm. or kind of like unsentimental depictions of the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, given that so many, so many period pieces tend to be fairly lush, mm-hmm. uh, that, that might be fun. That, and that is streaming on Netflix. Okay, which movie or TV show should we review on the next episode of Filmspotting SVU? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com. Or you can enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received, though, by Monday, November 16th at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, at FilmSpottingSVU. And you'll have all that week to watch the film or TV show and then join us for our conversation on our next episode, which should be on or around Tuesday, November 24th. And FilmSpottingSVU.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all of the movies and or TV shows we have discussed on the episode. The Film Spotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. Listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.com. And we will be back in two weeks with more recommendations and the review that you pick. And in the meantime, you can always follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And you can find the show at Film Spotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice. But it's also where we share more streaming suggestions from various streaming platforms and ones that you guys recommend as well. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>